0: Are you? How the heck are you? We're gonna do a podcast. So let's get a little deeper into your story, shall we? Who are you? All oh, that—that becomes a sticky wicket. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's your juice? <laughs> let's get back on track. You've got a lot of things that are going on. What is it that you're curious about? Yeah, you, you know what you're do. Right. You.
1: Well, like let's
0: crumble up some off for you. Boom, 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 It's been a whirlwind for you. What is it that supercharges you about this? What's going on? What's coming up? Or is that too much stuff? To asked
1: no earlier. not
0: too many questions <laughs> hello everyone welcome once again to mind your own business the chamber podcast this is where I your host Mo Bellavo executive director of the chamber of Greater East Hampton get to talk with um, our chamber members local entrepreneurs uh, local thought leaders, professionals, etc., and I get to find out who they are, what they do, and most importantly, why they do it. Before we get started today, um, I'd like to thank E Media. We are in E Media Studios today, recording and filming. Um, I'd like to thank especially Jeff Mastriani, who is the executive executive director here at E Media. We have. Um, Um, Jackson Foote, who is our production coordinator, and Tim Riley, who is our operations manager. manager. So thank you to those folks who always make us look and sound fabulous. So today, I'm super excited to be talking here for episode seven. We're chatting with uh, Ryan Smith, who is the manager of media and community relations and broadcasting for the Springfield Thunderbirds.
1: I gotta i gotta figure out a way to get my uh, job title shortened a little bit i so know it's a mouthful
0: it is a mouthful um ryan handles all uh play-by-play duties as the voice of the thunderbirds um hockey and he oversees all of the media relations and is also active in the team's community efforts so welcome ryan
1: yes thanks so much mo
0: great to have you here ryan has also called springfield thunderbird games for the last five years so let's get into it shall we ryan why not excellent <laughs> so great to see you so let's just start right off and um how the heck are you
1: <laughs> well i'm terrific uh <clears throat> i think i'd be lying if i said i wish this interview was a little bit later on and hopefully we were in the midst of a run to the calder cup finals and do a championship <clears throat> but uh, the reality is it's hard to do year in and year out and <clears throat> after the run we had uh, in 2022 uh, it's hard to duplicate that when players are playing into late June and then you're asked to turn around and start over again in October Uh, it's tough year in and year out to go that far and unfortunately just wasn't in the cards for us this year but uh does give us a chance to kind of exhale a little bit after what was uh kind of 18 months of uh, non-stop for us from getting back from the pandemic to uh, putting a new season on once again. And it's uh, it's crazy how fast the time goes. Uh, I had someone in the news industry tell me once that the expression that they heard from uh, a higher up of theirs was, uh, the days are long, but the years are short. And I think that that kind of encapsulates what uh, working in sports is and right. it's wild it's a grind it's so much fun but man you have a chance to look back on it and say wow where did the time go because you just you're so caught up in the day-to-day of it and right. when you have a chance to sit back and look at the bigger picture uh, it's pretty it's pretty astonishing to kind of reminisce
0: right 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 so before we get into you know um the recent past season for the Thunderbirds and moving forward and that sort of thing. Let's get a. I'd like to get a little idea of who Ryan is, yeah. you know, and you maybe you can give us a little bit of your backstory and how you've gotten from um, um point A to point B.
1: Yeah, well, <clears> I, <throat> I have to try to debate how far back in the story I want to go, but mm. I think it all goes back to kind of when I was in elementary school, and my mom always tells the story so proudly that when i was god i probably was eight or nine years old and i would have a little tape recorder up to up to my mouth and doing mock play-by-play or mock anchoring of something on espn or some sort of uh, sporting event i grew up outside philadelphia so uh, to this day i am a just huge eagles and phillies fan so uh, it was kind of the soundtrack of my childhood was listening to harry callis who of course was uh, also synonymous with nfl films and everything of that nature he had this absolutely iconic voice and uh, i was really spoiled to get to grow up listening to him be a soundtrack of my summers and it was something i tried to emulate and i think i came to a realization when i was 11 12 years old as a uh, as a skinny little short kid in uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia, that uh, playing sports probably wasn't going to be in the cards for me. And I I think I just, I kind of had a realization that there was, I knew I had to be involved in it in some capacity. And I thought if I can't be playing it, what's the, what's my in, what's the next way I can kind of get my feet wet in it. And Mm -hmm. uh, broadcasting always sort of resonated with me because I, my eyes were glued to, uh, live sports growing up. I, I wasn't so much into comedy series. I wasn't into cartoons. I wasn't into <laughs> movies, but live sports was always something that, I don't know, just grabbed me and mm-hmm. I gravitated to it. So mm-hmm. I think I reached that realization that being on the broadcast side of it was something that really interested me. And uh, by cool. the gr- by the grace of God, my mother was uh, pushing for me in my formative years by the time I was like 12, 13 that there was a there was a business venture started by a fellow named Jeremy Treatment in Philadelphia called Sports Broadcasting Camps. And it was kind uh. of a it was kind of a new idea and kind of his own startup. He was someone who was in the industry. Never really got his feet wet and never really could catch that big break to reach a national level ESPN, so be it. But he wanted to, with his with his talents and his skill sets, he wanted to have some sort of outlet to give back to up and comers who kind of are still young and still maturing and still trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. But he created this idea (laughs) of a sports (laughs) broadcasting camp and I was so shy about going and I wasn't sure. I was like, is this really for me? And my mom pushed me, pushed me and then didn't give me a choice. She signed me up for it. And uh, that's pretty awesome. And if she, if she didn't do that, I don't know where my, I don't know where my future would have taken me because uh, getting to go to that in Philadelphia and meeting some of my broadcasting mentors and icons in the industry and people that I still lean on very heavily now 20 years later, uh, I don't know where I would have been without that. Um, that kind of was my springboard and I went to Penn State and got to uh, jump right in and do play-by-play, do talk shows, do anchoring things. Throughout my four years, I got to I get started as a freshman and being at one of the Top athletic universities in the country, where you have access to all these great programs and all these cool. great opportunities. It was uh, it was a match made in heaven. And there's a huge family background with the Nittany Lions in my family. Both my parents went there. I think I've got eight extended family that went there. So it was kind of a it was kind of a calling in my house. And I didn't know it was going to end up being my calling too. But it ended up being one of the best decisions I could have made for myself. And uh, now we look another. 10 years down the road I'm 10 years out of college literally next week will be 10 years out of college for me nice and it's it's crazy to look back at all of that and uh my journey took me out to Madison Wisconsin for a couple of years in the United States Hockey League and then I was fortunate enough that I had a I had a um manager out there uh who was well connected with uh east hampton's own nate costa here and that wow. kind of was the uh stepping stone of how i ended up in springfield
0: wow okay and so i understand that um y- you had the opportunity oh you you recently ha- were able to um realize a childhood dream yeah do you understand <laughs> Oh, Go. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it
1: was uh, <clears throat> somehow it's already been over a year ago, which is yeah. uh, hard for me to fathom that it's already been. So tell long. us about
0: that and tell us how, yeah. you, how you happened to be there and you know what led to that.
1: Yeah. So and the, what it was. Yeah. So the childhood dream for me ever since I was about probably 14, 15 years old, uh, the dream was to call games in the NHL. And my real childhood dream has been to become the voice of the Philadelphia Flyers, who are my hometown team. And so I'm going about my business here with the T-Birds in the American Hockey League, which is uh, so many broadcasters and players can attest to it being uh, the perfect stepping stone for everyone trying to make that leap into the the majors, into the top, into the the pinnacle of your field. And it was no different for me. And... Uh, last year, coming out of the pandemic, we had a new NHL affiliation with the St. Louis Blues. And funny enough, the radio voice for the St. Louis Blues, Chris Kerber, is someone that a lot of folks in this listening audience, any hockey fans in this area's audience, probably remembers that uh, uh, Chris was the voice of the Springfield Falcons for, I believe, four seasons back in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And he used that as his launching pad to st louis where he's been with the blues now for uh, parts of two decades and it was late in our season early april it was the 11th of april i had just gotten back from a road weekend trip to hershey five hours away i had uh, rolled into my house at about three in the morning and slept until 10 uh, just trying to catch up on sleep and trying to un-groggy myself for Mm. lack of a better term and Uh, My phone rings and it's Chris Kerber, and I'm thinking this isn't all all altogether out of the ordinary. We were uh, getting ready as an office to go see the Blues in Boston, play the Bruins the very next night. Um, We had gotten a, a bulk group of tickets up in the Upper Bowl at the TD Garden. Uh, Just to kind of show our support for NHL affiliates with the Blues. It was a uh, Tuesday night in April, just a chance for us to get away from the office and have kind of a uh, work outing, so to speak. So when I see Chris's name flash on my phone as the call, I'm literally, first of all, still laying in bed. Uh, I'm awake, thankfully, but (laughs) I'm just kind of laying there, just trying to get myself relaxed after the long travel. And I'm thinking in my head, maybe he wants to chat a little bit about uh, up and comers for the T Birds who are up with the Blues at that time. Uh, maybe he's looking to have me on for a pregame hit or for an intermission hit or something along those lines. So I answer and I'm chatting with Chris and he's spending about five or six minutes. We're just kind of discussing how his life, how are things with the T Birds, how are things with the Blues. Great showing for both teams. They're both on the precipice of playoff runs. So uh, we're just kind of shooting the breeze about all of that. And then he without much transition to it he decides to drop the bomb about five six minutes into the call yeah so i know you guys are going to be in boston tomorrow night for the game but i wanted to uh give you an opportunity to hand you the keys to the car and call the second period of blues bruins tomorrow night in boston oh and wow i think it took me probably a minute to 90 seconds to actually say the word yes right because i think the, the process f- i think the first words out of my <clears> mouth were well curbs i gotta admit you caught me off guard here a little bit um and I, I literally, I, I, don't think I said anything for a five, ten second block, and then all of a sudden, I just it clicked in with me. I was like, "Yes, by the way, uh, if I didn't yeah. say that yet, yes, of course, I'll do it. Uh, nice. Just let me know where, where I'm meeting you, what time." And what was that like? What? what? Oh, the next, the next thirty hours were, uh, were breakneck. I was, I was off my. My boss, Nate, gave me off that day just to kind of rest up after coming home from the road trip. But as soon as that happened, I was like, I need to go in the office now and I need to prepare my... My packets and my charts and everything I use in a game by game note situation. So I go into the office in the afternoon and I tell them I'm like, yeah. So uh, I'm not going to be sitting with you guys actually for right. the first uh, two <laughs> periods. Uh, <Nice>. I got <laughs> I got the call to do the second period. So I was like, okay. Nice. Uh, so you guys have fun down there. I'm gonna be upstairs and uh, probably uh, trying to process what all's happening and it was the the worst part and i think players can probably attest to the same thing when they're making their debuts in the nhl the worst part is waiting it's not the actual playing or the actual broadcasting the doing of the craft it's the waiting and mm. when i got upstairs to the ninth floor at the garden i'm sitting in the booth there with uh, chris kerber and joe vitale i'm just <laughs> oh i'm God. sitting there i'm waiting and i'm waiting and the first period Begins and both teams score in the first 45 seconds of the game. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I getting myself into? Is this going to be an 8 7 game where uh, it's total mayhem? And was it? It's going to be back and forth chaos. Well, the first period ended, I believe. But isn't that more fun when it's like that? It it is. In the broadcasting sector, it is. And the first period ended 2 1 in favor of Boston. And the second period, by the time I finally take over the mic and we start the second period, the first 15 minutes of the second period, nothing happens. There's no penalties. There's barely any scoring chances. There's barely any action. And I'm thinking to myself, is my first period in the NHL literally going to be nothing? And lo and behold, uh, a Bruin player, I'll I'll never forget the sequence of events. Trent Frederick, a rookie for the Bruins, takes a... Unsolicited roughing minor after a whistle, which gives the blues power play the action. And the blues power play at the time had been dynamite. And I'm saying to myself, okay, this is if it's gonna happen, this is gonna be when it happens. And lo and behold, the blues score twice in nice. just under two minutes, take a lead. They end up winning the game four to two. So oh, that's not bad. I have a game winning goal call, in my first ever National Hockey League game, and Good for you. it was It was a night I'll never forget and having just countless messages from family, from friends I've known and talked to for years to friends I hadn't caught up with in years to players on our team sending me best wishes and former coaches of mine Um, and former bosses of mine and it was just a, it was a flooding of outpouring that I never expected I mean, I thought I would get some messages from people, but right. I, I never expected it to be what it nice. became. And uh, the Blues and the T-Birds could not have been better to me about it. I, I have game sheets. I have the, I have a game puck from that game nice. that the Blues and T-Birds general manager tracked down for me, and it was, uh, it was a, it was a sequence that. I know I'm getting long-winded with it because I still a year plus later it's, surreal. it's still hard to fathom that that really happened that mm-hmm. at age 31 I was able to achieve a dream that I thought might not ever come right. to be honest and right. you just hope that you hope that day in and day out your work is getting noticed and you're uh, putting your best foot forward and trying to be humble about it and I like to I like to think that that all happen for me in that way and it, hopefully it's just the start of what's to come
0: nice yeah hopefully <clears throat> what was it like it was that the, your first experience of working with joe Vitali?
1: yeah i <clears throat> had i hadn't met joey until that night and it was how was that i can't i can't try i, I gotta try to kind of emphasize what it's like to have someone to work with as an analyst to bounce thoughts off of during uh-huh. a live play-by-play broadcast I, t- I just love his energy. Yeah, because with the T-Birds, I'm doing everything myself, which there's just, there's positives and negatives to it. I, I don't have to worry about somebody else talking as play all of a sudden ramps up and there's a scoring chance and a potential goal. They have to kind of butt back in as a play-by-play guy. But with Joey, I've worked with analysts in college who are just fellow students. And you get a sense of who you work well with and who you kind of have to try to have more signals with each other, a tap on the arm or a look or something. Mm-hmm. With Joey. It, well, he's a pro. Yeah, it obviously. felt as if I had done games with Joey for five years. Yeah. And it's really hard to That's find cool. that so quickly off the hop. And Joey, for being a guy who played in the NHL and a guy who has been the Blues analyst with Chris Kerber for a number of years now since his career ended, his playing career ended. Uh, He could not have been better with me as someone who was just kind of a starstruck rookie uh, jumping into the booth. But he couldn't have been better. And I felt so comfortable and at home within five minutes of talking with him before we ever hit the air. And I'll never forget, I I think the first stoppage of my first NHL game, Joey turns to me and goes... So Ryan, when did uh, when did Curbs give you the call that it was uh, happening? And I, I said uh, I believe it was like eleven o'clock yesterday morning, and I sounded like a babbling idiot and didn't know what to say or do. Right. And then his follow up to that was, so you were uh, so you were okay with uh, so you were good with doing it. You were ready to uh, jump on board. I was like, yeah, you know, I I found the motivation to do it somehow. Yeah, all you know,
0: like, right, pulled it down yeah. from the depths of God only knows where. So <clears throat> before we go off. Um, Um, into another direction. I'm just wondering for folks who may not be as familiar as you with how all of these leagues and teams and so so on work, I understand that the T-Birds or Thunderbirds are an affiliate of the St. Louis Blues, right? So the Thunderbirds is of the AH, AHL and Mm -hmm. the uh, the Blues are from the um, NHL. How What is that about, and how does that work? How do they become affiliates of each other? So
1: the AHL prides itself on being the lead developmental league for the National Hockey League. Uh-huh. It's something like, I think it's around 86% of NHL players have some depth of experience in the American Hockey League. Okay. And for some guys, they're in the AHL maybe a week when they're really young, just getting that last little bit of seasoning. Yep. For others, it takes two, three, four sometimes even five years of AHL seasoning before they're ready uh, to make that leap into being National Hockey League players. Um, The affiliation, in terms of how the affiliations come to be, it varies team by team because there's a throng of probably about two-thirds of the American Hockey League teams are owned by their NHL parent club. Uh, So examples of that would be, say, the New York Rangers who own the Hartford Wolf Pack or the Boston Bruins who own the Providence Bruins Mm -hmm. just to give a couple of examples there. Uh, Then there's some teams that are independently owned and the Thunderbirds are an independently owned team. Oh, I didn't Uh, know that. We've got a... We've got a band of about 29 local business owners, head manned by Paul Picnelli, uh, who is kind of the managing partner of all of them. I think the number at last check was 29, but I know there have been uh, different people who have been chiming in wanting to get a minority stake. So uh, it began with cool. something in the neighborhood of 20 to 25, and it's grown to around 30. Um, all of them. That's
0: awesome. I didn't realize All that. of
1: them locally tied to Springfield in Western Massachusetts, which uh, was a big selling point for so many of them. Because when the Springfield Falcons uh, were sold to the Arizona Coyotes back in 2016, there was that uh, couple weeks period (laughs) where there was uncertainty of whether uh, pro hockey was going to stay in Springfield. And uh, by the great work of Bruce Landon, who's been a fixture in hockey in this city, and the efforts of Mayor Sarno Mm. and Paul Picnelli and Nate Costar, president, they kind of all had a hand in wanting to Uh, make sure that this would not be something that went to pasture it was far too important to the business leaders like paul and others to uh, they saw what could have happened Mm -hmm. to the economy in springfield without having pro hockey downtown um it would have been it would have been a horrific loss for the area both economically and emotionally because Mm of the history of hockey in springfield which dates back to the mid-30s and it's it would have been a tough pill for them to swallow. And I, I never really understood how big hockey was in this city until I moved here. I i knew of Springfield in the AHL landscape from afar, but until I actually moved here, I never really understood uh, just how important that was. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make a long story short, we were affiliated with the Florida Panthers for four years from 2016 to 2020. Um, our affiliation agreement was set to expire with Florida Um but elsewhere, the St. Louis Blues had just had a bit of an unfortunate situation with themselves. The San Antonio Spurs had owned the San Antonio AHL team, and they made the decision, as with the Blues affiliation, they made the decision to sell their AHL team. They saw an opportunity to turn a profit on their investment with San Antonio, which is a team that Nate actually began his uh, his career in sports working for the San Antonio Rampage, and they sold and it left the St. Louis Blues without a place to go basically at that point. And the Blues had been a team that had unfortunately uh, bounced around affiliations for a couple of years trying to find a more firm launching point for their AHL developmental team and mm-hmm. when the T-Birds were in the process of trying to have talks with the Panthers, uh the St. Louis opportunity presented itself after what happened in San Antonio, so mm-hmm. I can't take any credit for this because this was all Paul and Nate's doing. They got on the horn with the blues management and their brass and their ownership and said, Hey, we might have an opportunity here in Springfield for you guys. I know you guys are looking for more stability uh, yes. in terms of right. knowing where your AHL team will be. And we're committed to being in on this for the long haul and through back and forth conversations, yeah. there ended up being a fit and they became our new affiliation starting with uh what would have been the 20-21 season. Uh, We opted not to play due to the uh, pandemic, and there were a couple of other teams in the American Hockey League. Charlotte and Milwaukee did the same thing, um, which ended up as tough a pill as that was to swallow for us. Um, I was out of work along with a lot of my cohorts for about about 15 to 18 months, but it was something that had to be done to kind of make sure that we were still going to be a feasible business moving forward and fortunately the uh, thirst for hockey to come back our fans came out in droves uh, when we finally did get the lights back on in 2021 and ended up having two historic seasons back to back which i think it was hard to see the light at the end of that tunnel for a lot of us during the uh depths of all of it but i think it speaks to what we've been able to accomplish on all sides of the organization business side hockey side uh, marketing community side right. it's uh it's an effort that we're not an overly huge organization. We're still considered a small business. We're, I think, at 18, 19 men and women staff. And right. uh, we, do, <clears throat> we do everything we can to make sure that we're a staple of our community and we're an option that people want to come and see on their we weekends obviously are. in the winter and early spring and hopefully when things are going well for us into the early summer as well. Right, uh, But it's just been an amazing progression to get to this point from where we were, uh, in the fall of 2016, when everything started,
0: right, 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 and it, so it has—it's <clears throat> not really that long. No, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, yeah, 2020 was a hard time. You know, I've had a couple of conversations with, um, as you know, chamber members, and we value your membership with the East Hampton Chamber, and chatting back and forth with Todd um, McDonald, mm-hmm. you know, and praying that everything's gonna, you know, turn around and turn around. Yeah. It did. <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with this because there's uh, there's so many metrics that we look at year in and year out from a business standpoint. Well, what and a
0: stunning. So let's talk about what that was, and yeah. you can share what that you know what were, the event that we're talking about.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, which one?
0: Well, <laughs> uh, you know, was it 2022 the Calder? Was
1: yeah, it the Calder uh, making the, <clears throat> making the run all the way to the uh, Calder Cup Finals was uh, was amazing, but. I think the what re- was the
0: prelude that is there. I, I think okay. there's
1: a I think there's a couple. Right, so let's, I think there's a couple moments that really uh, made us understand that hey, we might have something good going here. Um, I think year one, it was great for us just to show the city that we were we were different from the prior organization. In we 2016, ha- you're talking, yeah. Yep. We had the we had the new ownership dynamic where everyone was local <laughs> and there was a real that means a the difference. There was a real pride in being locally owned and operated. And I think there was a definitive vision of what Nate and Paul wanted to see the organization do. And there were a lot of people who said at the end of the Falcons tenure when we began, you guys are never going to be able to sell that building out. The Falcons soured the fans so much that you're going to have a hard time being successful in the marketplace. And yeah, the first year came with some lumps and you had to kind of try to change the narrative among fans who were just assuming that it was going to be the same old, same old in terms of... uh, kind of turning a blind eye to what was important in the community and what was going on this, that, and the other. Um, But I think our ability to get three sellouts in year one was a testament to uh, what we were able to pull off. And even though our team on the ice wasn't a playoff team, uh, we still were able to put together uh, some great programming in terms of the game experience for fans of all ages and really kind of trying to cater to the family audience with the, with price points that were affordable for families to be able to come and enjoy a game and not feel like uh, going to a Bruins game or going to a Red Sox game where you have to spend 40 bucks just to feed your family at the game, not even factoring in the ticket price. If that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. If you're lucky. And so that was kind of our first, that was kind of our first thought of, hey, we might be able to build something off of this. 2017, 2018, we managed to pull off getting David Ortiz at a game in the month of November of our second season. And I think that was the moment when we had the press conference in the summer of 2017 announcing Mm -hmm. that Big Poppy was coming to a game as part of his kind of retirement. Thank you, Western Massachusetts, for your support of my career tour. And that really, that flipped the switch for us. We became instantly recognizable. That was for the longest time. Uh, the most prolific night we ever had from a revenue and an attendance standpoint. Cool. It really... What a generous thing. It really set the table for everything moving forward for us. The next year, we had the AHL All-Star Classic, which was a two-night Sunday-Monday event where we sold every last one of our 6,800 seats for both nights of that event, something that AHL All-Star Classics have not been able to do before or since then with consistency. So we take a lot of pride in being the ones who were able to kind of make it the marquee setting for the event mgm springfield had just opened so they were gracious hosts and they've been great partners with us throughout our entire tenure and that allowed us to really take another step forward and i think we had hit eight or nine sellouts that season then the pandemic hit and so we're we're at the point where it's like we're just hitting our stride we're about to hit year five everything is going so perfectly and Mm we're busting our tails and doing everything the right way. We're so happy with what we've been doing as a business. We're happy with what's been developing as a hockey team. And then the world stops. And I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to go into a soliloquy on that because we've all, we've heard our stories. We've exchanged our stories, our frustrations, our heartaches, our losses. It's been, it was, it was tough to go through, but I think we came out the other side with a new appreciation for Uh, The hard work that it took to get through the biggest adversity to date. And we came out of it with the 21-22 season with a new affiliation with the Blues. Our first ever playoff trip, which was victory enough in itself. Then to have our goaltender score a goal in our second ever playoff game on home ice. First time a goalie had ever done it in the American Hockey League. Actually shooting the puck and scoring. Oh my god. We became overnight viral sensations. Uh We then go on to win our first seven games of the playoffs. We go all the way to the finals. We sell out our final... playoff games. There's not a seat left in the building for the night we clinched the Eastern Conference title. And then three straight Calder Cup Finals games, not a seat in the house. Uh, I think we would have gladly changed the outcome of those games if we could have gone back and amended history a little bit. But it was a it was a glowing success for our organization. Business side, hockey side, there was a togetherness with that group from uh, our players on the ice our captain tommy cross to what we did in the front office and what we were able to accomplish in the community even during a year where there were still restrictions of what we could do and not do in the community with players and we got to roll that over into this year as everyone started coming back school groups started coming back out to the arena yeah and just the ability of having Uh, unrestricted access to all these different groups and be able to reach a point where everyone was finally able to be uh, comfortable with the social spaces once again and this year to have I believe it was 15 sellout nights out of 36 games to be able to sell out more than one in three games is really outside of kind of the top tier traditional markets in this league the clevelands the hershey's it's kind of unheard of at this level and we were a top i think 12 or 13 team in attendance in a league that we outdrew markets with three four five six times the population of greater springfield and again i i feel like just a spokesperson for that because there's 17 others in our office that are doing so many different elements of making that possible for right. us and uh, without their accomplishments, I'm not able to spout off all those numbers right. and those great things right, that right, right. we were able to accomplish. So it's been a it's been a long a long story of how we got to this point, and we're hoping that somehow 15 is still just a launch off point for us. We want to reach some point where fans are coming to us two, three, four weeks early for tickets because they right. know if they wait till the last minute, it's going to be it's good. it's going to be gone, and we. Uh we have a motto that we had a previous member of our organization tell us the motto, never apologize for a sellout. No. And I I I think it's when we've reached a point where we have to start telling people we're sorry, we, we've sold out. It's it speaks to That's why you wanna
0: get your season ticket. It speaks to
1: the support of season our fan tickets, base. People. Yep. Mm-hmm. Big savings off of uh box office prices. Yes. What my uh, what my sales cohorts would say.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So um so, all of this great, wonderful game success, you know, and, 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 you know, you mentioned, well, it was a long road, but really it hasn't been. No. It hasn't been that long. So, that's really incredible, you know. Um, but then I also want to talk a little bit about, um, You know, it's not all about just being on the ice and playing hockey for you, the the staff and the team. So let's talk a little bit about what your community efforts are and and, and where do you, you know, like what is it that you wish people knew about the organization and the team in that regard? Yeah, if
1: goal number 1A is to bring a Calder Cup back to Springfield, goal number 1B is something that Nate always talks about, and I echo it everywhere we go as well, is – uh, we want to be pillars in our community, and by that we mean uh, we want to be fully, fully engaged and invigorating the community around us. And there's a lot of ways that we can accomplish that, and we have some great work being done by Nate and our um, Our human resources manager, Jessica Hanson, they've put together uh, with the support of Paul and the ownership group, the T-Birds Foundation. So we're able to generate funds as a 5013C uh, to be able to kind of take in uh, donations that we receive from things like uh, uh, jersey auctions that we do in-game to... Uh, ways that we support the community around town and then we can have funds come in and we can send those out to different areas of our community Uh, whether it's school systems whether we can donate some uh, hockey sticks and supplies to maybe phys ed programs that don't necessarily have the resources to be able to have Mm -hmm. hockey as a unit in their uh, gym classes, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's giving back school supplies, books Uh, we were involved very closely with the Springfield City Library, one of our players Uh, was deeply engaged in literacy and reading programs and we visited six or seven libraries over the course of a year our mascot boomer is going to all sorts of different appearances around town uh, non-profits hospitals military functions Uh, Even things as simple as kids' birthday parties and uh, corporate events and things that we want to lend our support because we understand (laughs) that without the support of our community at large, uh, we're not able to do what we do on a day in and day out out basis uh, on game nights in our building. So uh, it's paramount to us to be involved and entrenched in our community in those capacities. I think over the last season, I think combined between player and mascot appearances, we did... Uh, north of 250 uh, appearances by players or mascots around the area and it's a number that uh nate and i nate challenges me and challenges our staff to get that number higher and higher each year uh, to the point that just about every young person has a chance to be um influenced in a good way by us and what we're doing absolutely and that is really our number one our number one priority in the off-season months is to uh, find these outdoor events. As things start getting nicer outside, where can we be uh, putting ourselves out there? Uh, Can we be putting ourselves in festivals and parades and fairs all around the surrounding area to A, show our support for our neighbors around us, and B, uh, maybe go into places where hockey is not as much of a forethought for them, and show them what we're all about, that we're more than just the 60 minutes of gameplay on the right. ice 36 times a season and hopefully plus 10, 15 more in the postseason. Um, there's so many different things uh, that we really want to be involved in. And we are so head in the clouds in our approach that uh, we have to sometimes stop ourselves and say we got to make sure that if we're dedicating our time to these things. We got to do them right. Right. But our goal is each year we add a couple more things, we add a couple more sure. traditions, a few more staple events, uh, year in and year out, and uh, hopefully we will have, hopefully we have we would have done some good for uh, those around us who do so much good all the time.
0: Right, right, right. So is there a particular initiative that you're working on now that you want to highlight, or something that's coming up that you want so to bring attention to? There's so many
1: over the course of the regular season. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of things that we really are most proud of, um, our work in particular with the, uh, cancer fighting and military uh, Mm. organizations throughout the course of the season. So every year, the pink in the rink game each March, um, which really was in our first season, that was really our first night that really kind of put us on the map in the area. And the folks with the Rays of Hope at Bay State Health, uh, Kathy Tobin and her crew do such a great job with that organization. And, um, we really wanted to get in on the ground floor with them because uh, breast cancer awareness and pink in the rink is really an AHL staple in various markets. And there's so many people who work on a national level uh, with Susan G. Komen or yep. other breast cancer organizations. <clears throat> but what makes the Rays of Hope so special in this area is that so many of those funds, and I believe all of those funds, uh, stay local in Western Massachusetts mm. for cancer fighting, for support for mm-hmm those who are survivors and those undergoing treatment uh what we can do for their families and the rays of hope has uh uh, thankfully graced us with the ability to kind of have us be their uh year kickoff event because so many teams do the pink in the rink in october which um, most sports leagues do something for being breast cancer awareness month but we know that in reality it's a year-round effort Mm -hmm. for those for those fighting it it doesn't just uh occur in october and then take the other 11 months off unfortunately um so we've really utilized march as kind of we're hitting our stride in the second half of our season and we know how much our fans like supporting local and supporting those who really are undergoing far bigger problems than we face day to day as a hockey organization and so we've really struck a chord with so many in our community making that kind of their kickoff staple fundraising event for Mm -hmm. the year uh, which kind of gets the ball rolling for them into the summer months and culminating with their great walk and run event each fall on downtown springfield so uh, it's been a real match made in heaven for us we've sold out every one of our six pink in the rink games Uh, we paint the ice pink our jerseys are pink uh, post-game jersey auctions go to the rays of hope we raised thirty thousand dollars this year for the rays of hope nice. uh, which coincided nicely with their uh, 30th anniversary year um so it it really you couldn't have
0: planned that it, any it was it was tremendous <laughs> talk that about the, a marketing opportunity that the proceeds
1: ended up just just a- approaching thirty thousand, nice. and we evened it up at the top to make it 30k nice. from the t-birds foundation off to the rays of hope and uh that was tremendous uh, In the last couple of years Uh, pivoting over to the military side of things we've started to uh, make military appreciation nights and military jerseys kind of part of our year in and year out uh, approach to saluting our military members each each year and we do those jerseys in the month of january as well Uh, we pay homage to the veterans of course each veterans day in november but in january again as we're hitting the second half we again see it as another chance to say, hey, we need to be thanking our military members more than just during Veterans Day Mm -hmm. and more than during Memorial Day in those times of year. So uh, we've got some just fantastic uh, artists, both in-house and some folks we outsource some work with who create these amazing jerseys. And our Thunderbirds name, the moniker, is partially an ode to the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds, who a few years ago we were lucky enough to actually present jerseys to the Thunderbird pilots, uh, numbers, oh, cool. numbers 1 through 11 or 12, I believe, who make up their Thunderbirds team. Cool. Um, the number 5 pilot, interestingly enough, has an upside-down 5 on his uniform because he is the stunt pilot. Uh, so he's the one doing all the twirls and is uh, spending most of his time in the air upside-down, right. which uh, terrifies me to my very core to think about. Yeah, But we have actually, our number 5 player the last two years, Uh, has been able to, with league approval, wear an upside-down five on his jersey. We think it's the first time in the history of the league that we were able to do that. And just sort of another way to pay homage to them. And uh, again, same situation as Rays of Hope, the uh, jersey auctions and portions of other proceeds throughout the night. uh, We've been able to give back to a number of different uh, military-themed charities in the area. Uh, I know I'm going to forget one, so I'm not going to name them all off. No, no, no. But... we've been able to kind of share the wealth and uh, be able to give back to those uh, who really make the ultimate sacrifice. And as I said before, uh, with those who are fighting breast cancer, they're fighting a battle that is uh, way worse than our worst day in our line of work. And uh, we're very cognizant of the fact of what our military members do to uh, allow us to be able to do what we do day in and day out, both in our community and nationwide.
0: Right, right, right. Awesome. So we talked a little bit about, um, you know, you know, seasons past, seasons present, um, community efforts past and present. D- what's your what's your sense and what's your thoughts for the future going forward? Ooh, what, I what you to, got to try lined up.
1: I got to try to put my Nate Costa hat on here yeah, for yeah, this yeah. one. And Go, Nate. we're always we're always trying to I don't want to say push the envelope because that makes it sound like you're doing something tacky or doing something that is uh near crossing the line, so that's not really the expression I'm going for, but we're looking for more ways that we can continue to engage with new fans and maybe new fan groups that aren't necessarily immersed in hockey. Mm. Uh, So, we've been able to do so many uh, celebrity appearances at games, so... I mentioned the David Ortiz thing which obviously still appeals to a sports audience but we've had, over the years we had uh, Christopher McDonald who played Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore uh, we had him last year we've had stars from The Office uh, Leslie David Baker who played Stanley Hudson, we had mm-hmm. this season we had um, Jim O'Hare who played Jerry Gergich on Parks and Recreation um, we've had pro wrestlers we've had uh, NFL players, we've had A number of different celebrity guests when Bryn Cartelli won the voice we had her sing the national anthem at a game since she's in East Longmeadow right uh, native there's so many different areas to explore uh, from a promotional standpoint that I know that we in the next couple of weeks I'm sure are going to be uh, putting ourselves in the conference room and throwing all kinds of ideas on the wall and on the table and we inevitably come up with a couple that uh kind of just have not really been tried before um i think it's kind of our staple to try to uh, come up with new things and every year we ask ourselves man how are we going to do better than what we just did right how, and are be- we, how can we top ourselves after david ortiz it was like how are we going to top david ortiz then all-star happened and we're like how are we going to top all-star how are we going to possibly right. do more than that
0: but if you can't conceive it of a of, of, of- you can't conceive it up here that it's not going to happen in the real world yeah. so at least you're you're giving it that space yeah and right I, and I so think that's
1: what that's what helps us having so many different people of such varying backgrounds in our office so we have folks in the office who aren't as big of hockey people as me um, I'm someone who can kind of approach them with, Here's some hockey related things that might be cool. But someone else might be more in touch with pop culture and say, right. hey, this is the twenty thirtieth anniversary of this. Maybe this right. is a cool avenue to explore. And, you know,
0: being innovative is hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's easy to do the same old, same old. And sometimes it just it's it appeals to us because it's it's keeps us in our comfort zone. A. It's not a lot of extra work. B, but to be innovative is yeah. a lot of extra work. So, you know, People always, say,
1: people always say I'm in a creative field, but the joke I make with my uh, fellow creative department heads in the office all the time is, I'm good for about one or two great ideas a month. You guys have more in one hour than I have in a month. So uh, that speaks to how how tough it can be to kind of put the creative hat on. and It's so hard to think of things that haven't been thought of already. I know. Uh, <laughs> one, one thing that we kind of also do around the American Hockey League is... Uh, Nate's background in the AHL kind of was working for the league office for close to a decade. Uh, His main role was going around to different markets and observing best practices from ticket sales to ticket promotions to marketing strategies. And we've kind of... He would say borrowed some of those Well, uh, you're not
0: recreating the wheel
1: correct, correct right and he and
0: and i think that that's that's it's smart and it's wise because now you have more brain space and bandwidth to be innovative in the areas that are most important rather to, than recreating the you know basic wheels that just don't need to be recreated. yeah and
1: to us the greatest <clears throat> the greatest form of flattery we can achieve as a team is when we look around the league and see other franchises modeling something they do after something that we did. And that's kind of the validation for us that, you know, for all the days that we sometimes go back and forth with each other and we uh, harp on small details here and there, when we look back and see other teams are mimicking us and sometimes maybe not quite as good as what we do. I think that kind of allows us to sit back and feel vindicated that we're, that we're doing something right. And, that's that's not to say that we're gonna assume that magically everything we do is going to turn to gold because the second we do that is uh uh, the second that we're going to have to kind of kind of pick ourselves back up to this bar that we've set for ourselves right
0: right so we need to to wrap this up but i wanted to give you an opportunity to um share with the audience uh anything that you felt like we didn't cover you know is there is there an initiative is there a is there a I don't know, event? Is there a something?
1: Yeah. All I can say to the listeners out there and the viewers, um, I I think I, I, I've been told I have a tendency to uh, ramble a little bit. And I think you kind of got the, uh, the full scale story of what we're all about as an organization. Uh, I just encourage everybody to um, especially those in our community who are community leaders and, people who have great causes and great uh great things if if you're maybe just starting out as a nonprofit and you're looking to have folks who want to get involved uh, i encourage anyone out there who is a huge uh community leader and someone who's looking to do better uh in the world around them to kind of approach us because we're always looking for and myself in the off season especially uh, we're always looking for more local locally based initiatives to uh, be involved with, great. and I think there's so many there's so many great things that we immerse ourselves in year in and year out. But I know for a fact there's so much more untapped, uh, great things going on in our community mm. that we want to be a part of, and great. we collectively as our heads we try to find everything we can we try to blanket the area but we know there's things that are slipping under the cracks and we want to be able to kind of highlight what these uh, great folks in the area are doing Um, we recognize someone each game night each season as a uh, game changer nice Uh, someone who kind of is taking uh, their passion for the world around them and doing something that's great for the business community great for the children great for the school systems great for um the medical field you name it Mm -hmm, Uh, there's mm -hmm. so many different areas that Mm -hmm. we can touch upon and i think that's something that i really want to make sure it's known in this area and then for folks who kind of are still trying to figure out i don't know is going to a thunderbirds game is that really going to be uh the right kind of entertainment piece for us i would tell anybody (laughs) there's probably of the 6800 fans we have out on a given game night I'm not sure forty four thousand or 4,500 of them would necessarily remember the final score or who a player on our team was. It's the but experience. But if the experience was something where from the moment they walked in our door to the moment they walked out it was something that they can take and say, hey, that was a great memory for my family. That was a great memory for my child. That was a great memory for us to experience as a community. Uh, that means every bit as much to us as if they enjoyed the game on the ice itself we we hope they enjoyed the game and become new hockey fans as a result of it but we know we're there for a greater purpose than just for the sporting element of it itself
0: nice so where can folks find you if they want to say hey here we are or just to buy tickets or whatever
1: springfield thunderbirds.com season tickets absolutely uh we've got a great crew of um sales members who really take the time to not just be a salesperson to you. You become uh, really ingrained with them and it becomes a real acquaintance and a friendship for so many of our season ticket members who are on a first name basis. When they see our ticket sales members in the community, it's sharing a handshake or a hug and there's a great uh, camaraderie with our office and with our fan base. Um, It's really a great chance to uh, get yourself involved in that capacity. Um, We're on social media, all the platforms at Thunderbirds AHL on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, We're starting to delve a little more into TikTok, but I'm way too old to try to even make sense of that. (laughs) We've got a much younger social media coordinator and she is much more in tune with that than I am. So Mm -hmm. I will give all the uh, nods to her on that front. Uh, Instagram as well. Same kind of situation. Uh, We're trying to cultivate some. Uh, great content for younger viewers, particularly those in the uh, preteen to high school sector as well, because we hope that there's a time 10, 15 years from now when they're starting to have their families, hopefully still in this region, that they can kind of remember what they saw as kids themselves. And Mm -hmm. hopefully it's inspiring the next generation to become part of what we do. Um, And again, as I mentioned, anyone who has great community ideas and wants and would love to have T-Bird's involvement in some capacity. Uh, We do everything in our power to try to become involved in that way, shape, or form. It's so easy for us to get involved. And really, as long as someone has, as long as someone matches our vision of wanting to better our community, uh, it's something that we would always love to be part of.
0: Sweet, excellent. Well, Ryan, this has been a great morning. Thank you for taking time to share about your journey and who you are and how you fit into the Thunderbirds family and also the excitement around the Thunderbirds. So we appreciate your time. Absolutely, Mo. Yeah, great. And so with that, we're wrapping it up. I want to thank eMedia once again for allowing us to be here, allowing us to do that and helping Ryan and I to look and sound great. And if you want more uh, information about eMedia, you can find them at easthamptonmedia.org. If you want more information about the East Hampton Chamber, it's easthamptonchamber.org. And I want you to please hit that like button, smash the subscribe button and share share and let everybody know that we're here and that would be really terrific so thanks a bunch peace out everyone